Hello innovators and explorers, welcome to another episode of the Web 3.0 podcast. I'm your host Sam Kamani. I am an Amazon best-selling author and a tech startup founder. I'm here to take you on a journey to explore this new land of Web 3.0 which is filled with opportunities that can help you build generational wealth. In this episode, I interview CEO author of Cashless Society, and an advisor and an Africa expert, Brian Asingya. Asingya's career is dedicated to advising and funding ethical entrepreneurs, leaders to launch, grow, and scale inclusive innovations. As CEO of Dream Galaxy platform with a particular emphasis on Africa-focused funds and projects, he is continuously seeking new investable projects as well as opportunities to advise and consult ventures in fintech, health tech and education. In this wide-ranging discussion, we talk about all sorts of Web3 related topics, ranging from how to localize your Web3 product or startup, DAOs, investing, DeFi, future of sports in Web3 and much, much more. So. Let's get into it. So, Asinja, it's great to have you on the show. I've been looking forward to talking with you. I have interviewed few innovators and entrepreneurs in, in Nigeria, in Africa, and I have been super impressed with their passion, with their ambition, and how Africa is, is changing. And it has changed over the last two decades. Being the host of Web3 Podcast, I am always keen to see how technology is changing people, how technology is changing different countries around the world. And that's why I wanted to interview you on this podcast. So Asinja, welcome to the show. And I would love to get a bit of a brief background about you, what you do currently, so our audience can put the picture together. Sure. Uh, thank you, Sam, for having me on the show. A little bit about me. I guess I'm talking right now from New York City. I'm originally from Uganda. I am did... Um, electrical and computer engineering by training and worked at the New York Stock Exchange right after undergrad. Then moved on to start my own company in the startup space. We primarily now, as of today, have three main services. One is an educational media platform that we call Dream Galaxy. And we distribute culturally relevant uh, content in multiple languages and uh, trying to allow people, the tagline is see yourself in educational media so that as people are learning, innovating, they can really see themselves being the creators of, of the innovations of tomorrow. On top of that, we have an advisory service, again, uh, working through advisory or management consulting with different ventures, especially a focused again on education, health tech, and fintech. And then something we're just launching this year is uh, a special purpose vehicle sort of fundra yeah, fundraising plus platform. And so that we hope that we can uh, just continue to connect great entrepreneurs with with access to capital and yeah. and so those are the three main areas and as i just i was mentioning earlier i've written two books so far the first is the last digital frontier the history and future of science and technology in africa and my latest one is cashless society which is also on top of exploring web 3 or, or, or sort of emerging market technologies is also looking at the ethics of innovation so the intersection between technology and ethics and how we can have better leaders or better decision makers really tap into human values as a foundation for, for the innovations of tomorrow. So 
That is fantastic to hear. I would love to get a bit more, bit more insight into your upcoming book, The Cashless Society, sure. and and what are your views and about about this topic, and how do you see us interacting as as humans as we have done with money over the past? Yeah. So cashless society. I'll I'll quickly start off with a core dis- definition. I have two definitions for it. Uh, one is the technical definition, which is really over, even for COVID, contactless or digital payments has increased since 2020 by over 30 percent, and is likely to stay and continue increasing. So one is is sort of that technical definition of a society increasingly preferring electronic transactions, and this moves beyond cash. For me, when you say cashless, it's beyond cash. It means also your healthcare records. Uh, digital bank, digital education, because not everybody is doing in-person learning anymore. So that reality of electronic transactions becoming normalized and becoming the preference of a cash or paper-based sort of transaction is one of the technical definition. It does not necessarily mean that cash ceases to exist, just that we prefer or, or transact more electronic. The second definition that I added was uh, a philosophical definition which then looks at cashless really being a more of a values-based society or a values-based decision-making in a sense that not everything has to be about money or not everything has to be a cash-fast kind of transaction so that you can now look at interactions and exchanges, value exchange, based on fundamental values like identity, ownership. You know, you were talking about NFTs earlier, kind of creation, collaborative creation that can happen when there's trust that is established through shared ownership or tokenization or fractional ownership, those are some of the, what I think the technical implementations that come after you've really taken care of the foundation of which are trust, which are ownership, uh, scale. We talk about how, how can we make these innovations be more inclusive so they're not just accessible to English speakers or French speakers. If you look at India, for example, Google has done a great job of localizing uh, their software. So now, you you know, you could use Hindi uh, on yes. your phone and, and, and you know, from a grandma to a parent to a kid, they don't have to be an expert in English, but they can still have this great digital experience from mobile payments to, to content streaming through Amazon or any other local platform. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and I think that localization from an identity, whether it's like a cultural or, or language perspective, is going to increasingly be more fundamental to just technology access in general. So that's where the the scale component comes in. It, it means scale across cultures, but also up, across borders if you think international expansion for products and services. Yeah, so let's putting you on spot on about localizing and and reaching different markets. I've got listeners in 55 countries for this podcast. How, what can I do to make it more accessible? Of course, I only speak so many languages and since podcasters is pretty much like a live thing, what right. else can I do to, to localize it or, or spread, increase my reach? Yeah. So I think increasing reach is one thing. And then I would start with the interest part of it. So the yeah. fact that you already have speakers from all over, that's great. That's stepping into that cultural connection. And yeah. then obviously you can always localize whether automating it or hiring a great translator, you know, human, human translators still need job, but also you can automate that translation where a lot of the, the, the transcriptions coming from these videos can automatically now be syndicated and then, you know, 
through a local lens, through other languages. And, and I think that's just one way, whether you're using technology or human expertise to achieve that. But, you know, extending that same conversation to actual innovation, I think it comes through, you know, the decision has to be taken uh, even from the design stage. So rather than localizing a solution after you've created it, it may be just as important to localize it at the point of design. And this means that, uh, for example, if you're building uh, an international product that you are aware that maybe not everybody is going to be uh, speaking English by default. And so maybe you're integrating those localization APIs from the get-go before you introduce complexity. But one of the beauty of these things, of if you take some of these value discussions earlier on in the design process, uh, you realize like the increasing growth of emojis and icons and all this visual communication that, you know, a picture of a cat is the same pretty much globally. Absolutely. Whereas the, whereas the word cat, you might have to translate it in so many ways. So yes. I think visual communication uh, will increasingly be popular and relevant because often you can convey a lot more emotion and nuance visually than just through text or, or sometimes just through audio. And so that accessibility can also be dealt with in different ways, uh, often through visual design and, and kind of bringing a universality uh, so that it's no longer just one language that's being communicated. Uh, so that can also be intentional by design where you, 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 you're bringing that approach to your product ahead of time and you're not wasting money down the road uh, translating hundreds and hundreds of characters when a simple emoji maybe could have gotten the point across. But, you know, one key example, if we look at like financial uh, services, I, I know yes. FinTech is a big part of, of the debate. One example that I share in the book is M-Pesa, which is a simple SMS-based digital backing platform that came out of Nairobi, Kenya. Yes. And it's now by far probably the first and largest sort of a digital banking ecosystem in the world. Simple in its, in its design, SMS-based. It doesn't require a complex smartphone. I think they're building smartphones now. But, you know, over the last five years and to date, all you need is a phone yeah. to be able to, to start transacting and banking. That's the simplicity in design, but there's, there's a simplicity in localization too, in that you don't necessarily have to know English. Like you can be banking in Swahili, you could be, you know, using local languages and, and still send transactions with your neighbors, with your farmers in, you know, community, local, local vendors. Uh, and I think that level of innovation, that's more practical, uh, that's simple in terms of the tech utilization and, and ecosystem kind of usage actually scales much quicker because there's, there's less barriers to entry and less barriers to participation from the very market you're trying to penetrate. So a lot of solutions are hindered as you know, connectivity is still a big challenge, even in emerging markets where, okay, one could argue 20 to 30%, maybe uh, high speed internet penetration. Uh, yeah, yeah, about, know, yes. yes, about, and it will continue to get better, but that still means that the demand for applications to deliver that great and rich experience that we take for granted in Western markets uh, isn't a norm for everybody. And so that has to be included in the design and, Absolutely. and the simpler and the, and the less one could say the less the demand your product or solution has, maybe the higher the likelihood of success because consumers will find that it's not too costly or both financially and also time-wise in terms of processing that data.
Yeah, that's fantastic. Really practical advice. The other thing that you did mention earlier is about building like a spec or a special purpose acquisition vehicle for for funding startups or for funding entrepreneurs. Can you tell us a bit more about it? Yeah, so I'll I'll quickly correct. I think SPACs are much larger, so those are more for pre-IPO purposes. Yes, we absolutely just just using more of the special purpose vehicle, which is one could argue it's sort of a single purpose VC or single purpose investment vehicle. So for you, you can only invest in one company at a time. So you create this entity just to invest in one company, whereas a traditional VC sets up a fund to maybe invest in one to 10 companies over the course of the fund, and then they'll close it and launch a new fund. So this reduces some of that complexity in management and allows you to just raise funds specific for a company. And once that round is done, you can create a new, a new SPV to then, you know, fundraise for another company without worrying about, again, the complexity of managing a much larger fund and holding on to that external capital for about 10 years. So what we're doing through this process is essentially working with partners like Assure Syndicates and Vabon from the UK. Assure is more US focused and Vabon is more like international investor friendly, hence the two, depending on where the, the majority of the investor participants are going to come from. And they then handle most of the back-end uh, management and, and tax compliance filing, allowing us to focus on really connecting the great invest, investors with, with emerging technology entrepreneurs. And, and right now we're targeting healthcare and, and fintech spaces. And there's already a few companies that we're hoping to pilot with starting February in terms of just the fundraising windows. So it's a very simple process that again, just eliminates the need for us to be directly sort of uh, handling the, the fund management logistics as a traditional VC and just focus on a deal by deal process yeah, yes. to, to really help uh, entrepreneurs get access to capital. Oh, that's fantastic. few questions after that. Sure. And, yeah. and that is that what type of projects you'd be looking at to fund, could they be Web3 FinTech projects like... Absolutely. Right now, I would say, you know, our, our, our thesis is yes to be refined, but that's why I'm, I'm starting general in terms of hinting at specific sectors or areas of innovation. I would say uh, automation, AI kind of projects are pretty key. Obviously, fintech and, and sort of the Web3 kind of projects, whether it's uh, esports, gaming, and, and obviously digital assets, conversion platforms, and banking. That's a, that's a huge, huge area. Healthcare, for in particular, again, health tech. Kind of leveraging either automation to to bring you know more solutions. Like one company we're looking at is in invest in Mexico, and well, they are testing in Mexico, but they are Boston based, and so they will be officially launching a HIPAA compliant sort of platform in in Boston once they are ready. They are looking at solving this particular problem where you know every time you go to your doctor, or pharmacist, and, and you get this prescription, a lot of time patient compliance to then take those medications. Is often how do you monitor and how do you make sure like, you know, people are actually taking the medications when they're supposed to, so they don't have these recurring issues or they actually can get cured. That's a big issue they're dealing with. And, and their platform essentially will have nudges or reminders or have these dashboards that can, you know, encourage the user or send them nice reminders and like, hey, this is why you should take these pills today. Uh, and it's, oh, you're doing great. In exchange, we're going to give you this kind of credit reward. So essentially they want to do what they, you know, travel points or travel miles did for the airline industry. They want to yes. bring that concept 
of, of, of digital rewards to healthcare. So that is a, a specific term they use that I'm forgetting, but you know, the, the, the nudge can really allow patients to, to, to take more control of their, manage their health better, but also be more compliant in terms of taking medications and, 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 and assisting in that recovery process. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. And for for this, when the fundraising starts, will the entrepreneur or the startup have to do um, their own promotion, like you know, crowdfunding platforms where they have to go sure. out and do their own promotion to get a lot of people to <laughs> to give them money, yeah, or so or will you guys take care of it and you have a have a whole bunch of investors ready to invest. How will it work? I think it's going to be a combination of both. We imagine the more we do this, the more it gets easier for future uh, entrepreneurs. Yeah. We suddenly have a network that we've you know built over the last two years. Uh, again, my only challenge was I never had deals to 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 share with investors, but I, I suddenly get investors inquiring about specific sectors, whether it's healthcare or fintech. And so the first task is to really start inviting some of these investors to these SPV vehicles, because again, it's going to be just a special entity, you know, so it's free for the entrepreneurs. Uh, I think we send them a link to then upload their information. We can then help them on a week by week basis, sort of filter through investors through our network that we can then ultimately, if, uh, if the investors need to engage the entrepreneurs. Uh, we can facilitate that introduction, you know, that follow-up. But investors essentially get a link and, and they get to view your project. Uh, and, and when they're ready to commit, they can do it right through that platform. Uh, so yes, it's kind of similar to the equity crowdfund, uh, crowdfunding platforms, except it's, you're directly engaging accredited investors and it uh, much I would say much easier conversion, much easier management, because again, the, the legal and, and tax compliance aspect of it is all of a sudden handled by a third party, which, which these are these SPV management platforms like Azure Syndicates and Magon. They really do a good job of that. Yeah. Uh, and that allows you, the entrepreneur, to just focus on pitching and presenting. Yeah. Uh, and we can then help with the connecting uh, of investors and, and actually kind of act as you, not just like a, a bridge to, to investors, but also continue to give you the advice and insight related to the fundraising process so that, you know, maybe you're fine-tuning the messaging, maybe we, you know, fielding some of the questions that concerns investors might have and, and kind of help you address those. So we hope that it's really more of a supportive process so the entrepreneur doesn't feel alone anymore. And, and, and yes, we would actively be doing some of the investor outreach on the entrepreneur's behalf. But again, oftentimes entrepreneurs already have some investors in mind that they would want them to the deal so they can easily share a link for the investor to participate in the deal. Oh, fantastic. That is, yeah, that is, that is excellent. Absolutely excellent. The, the second thing I did want to ask about this topic is what is your opinion of, of DAOs or decentralized autonomous organizations? Or did you yeah. think of setting this up as even as a DAO where anyone can participate because now there are venture capital DAOs out there like Meta Cartel and there's lots of them. So basically same concept, but it all works on, on Web3. Most of the people are anonymous like or, or you can say anonymous because you just know their handle right. you don't, and they can purchase the, the tokens or something in the, in the DAO and then that gets allocated to the different projects. Yeah. I think, I think long term, that's where we might want to go, but um, yeah. it's still very early. Very, uh, very early. 
And when you're dealing with people's money, we don't feel like we are sort of mature enough to, to handle that level of risk right now. In general, I'm betting, I think DAOs are the future in terms of just uh, establishing of organizations or kind of collaborative or co-investment kind of platforms. They definitely make sense because they definitely decentralize the decision-making. They bring about a little bit more transparency uh, and quite honestly, take out some of the management <laughs> and the logistics and management of, of institutions. It is, you know, running a company and you're always tracking, you know, rule changes from the government. You're always tracking local policy changes and, and then responding to how you're being compliant. So all of that work, and then maybe the internal team people change, you, you know, some, one employee leaves and now you got to retrain somebody. So I, I think that complexity, yes, DAOs and other sort of blockchain kind of solutions do quite honestly, minimize that risk. And, and again, that's why we're piloting with SPVs because they're already kind of serving that need of like, let's deal with just one entity for one organization at a time. And then you can imagine these deals can then be taken a step further to say, well, let's put them on a DAO. Let's put them on some other kind of automated yeah. platform. But at least for, for phase one, it, it, we're focused on building that community of investors. Or, or, or investor syndicate that can really be committed to supporting great entrepreneurs. And then once we have that community, it's easy to migrate the technical solution behind it and sort of streamline that deal, deal assessment and deal submission kind of process. I can see that happening in a matter of a year, but yeah. I wouldn't want to, I don't want to put the cut before the horse and start with the technology uh, before I have a fully vetted uh, network of investors. So if we can get at least uh, 10 good you know investors to start with that are really committed to supporting at least one project a year then you can start to create some kind of community rules and guidelines around that and hope that those investors bring in other investors or start voting on what they would like the rules of engagement to be so i i can imagine that conversation being revested at, at the end of the year depending on how we do with a few deals this year and so yeah. absolutely, I, th I think that was bring an interesting trend to just organizational setup in general. And I, and I think a lot of projects, whether it's investment, I would argue even policy, right? If you think of like, how do we regulate crypto as a space? You know, a lot of the regulation, especially on the US side, they're kind of just borrowing traditional banking rules and updating them too, which is likely to be the trend. But one could argue all these public debates, right? Before any policy becomes law, there's always room for at least they give it a two weeks to one for the public to to comment and, and, and issue their opinion. You know, a DAO could easily facilitate that kind of process, you know, from documents being drafted, them being evaluated, then voted on, and which policies should take priority. You know, that kind of process could be easily automated with greater transparency, one could argue, and, and, and better sort of voting uh, voting power, maybe from business com communities as well as regular. So we see a lot of application for those tools, but one has to be careful that they're not breaking existing laws. And I think <laughs> therein lies the balance. I think SPVs right now are sort of the forefront of the VC ecosystem, redefining it. And maybe the next step is to maybe, yeah, you're right, throw them behind a DAO or some tech yes. stack that then facilitates that um, transaction to even be more scalable.
Yeah, yeah. Since you are writing and you're going to soon publish Cashless Society, mm -hmm. I would love to know your view um, or in your view, how is the adoption of blockchain and crypto going in pretty much around the world in Africa and US since you're based in New York? Where do you see things going? I think I think blockchain in general, I, I you know, I'll start with blockchain and then I'll move to crypto because often yeah, we yeah. Uh, interchange. The interchange, yes. Uh, yeah. So I think blockchain adoption is pretty much normalized and it's here to stay, mainly because a lot of institutions that rely on trust, whether we're looking at crypto exchanges and now traditional stock exchanges and, and banks, you know, international monetary transfer remittances, the world remits of the world, you know, they're going to embrace crypto and they have already, if they haven't, yes. you know, and banks are catching up, are playing catch up. Pretty yeah. Much. So I think blockchain as a foundational layer, whether it's for investments, agriculture, energy sort of infrastructure projects, yeah. it's going to be critical in that area. And a lot of industries are already moving in that direction. And we have clear policy around that because often people are working in form of industry associations, the IBM consortium has its own uh, project, but you also have more and more clear, I would say, regulatory uh, policy around blockchain usage. Yeah. Because part of the challenge there is, is purely just a a cybersecurity sort of data privacy challenge. I think as long as, and there's international standards that both ISO and, and GDPR that can guide that. So as long yeah. as organizations implement blockchain projects to support those existing industry standards, there's not a lot of conflict, conflict there, right? Yeah. With crypto though, it varies from, from continent country to country. country. Yes. <laughs> Uh, one could say, and I think that digital, so let's be clear again, this is why I want to be a little bit more specific. Digital transactions or electronic transactions are kind of here to stay because we saw a 30% increase since 2020 due to COVID. And so almost all of us have had an experience. I wouldn't say all of us, but majority of us have now experienced a cashless society variation okay not in perfection but have you ordered food remotely because of covid more chances are yes have you skipped an in-person class and and instead learned virtually via zoom chances are yes have you taken a zoom meeting electronically have you visited with your doctor or consulted with your doctor electronically most people are beginning to do that so a lot of the electronic what you know digital transactions are happening around us, you know, and they are quite honestly enormous in Japan. They are enormous in China. They are enormous in Africa. If you're talking about mobile money, East African yes. region kind of mobile money transaction. So the next stage is really extending the digital to crypto. Yeah. Right? Cause again, the two are not necessarily the same. We can still have, you know, digital wallets, credits, kind of the old concepts of credit rewards and miles. That concept existed. We're just now tokenizing it and, and, and putting it on steroids. One could actually much. make Pretty it much. more secure or allowing wallets that can now support multiple retailers or vendors. So I think that let's call it the, the mass adoption trend. It's, it's, it's almost happening, but the only piece missing is regulatory compliance. And I would say in a year or two. Uh, maybe in three years we'll be there, 
the reason is uh, the U.S., for example, already just passed a, a law de- under the recent Biden's act that they recently passed includes one rule that requires, you know, mobile payments through like Square or, or PayPal or Cash, Venmo, you know, anything over $600 now has to be reported to the IRS. So to me, that's just saying, hey, we recognize digital payments. We know they're here to stay. Let's start integrating them into our normal financial ecosystem and creates actual tax guidance around it, which was really the big piece that had accountants and lawyers sort of passing around rules and worrying of like, if we allow our clients or our businesses, if we advise them to embrace crypto full on, what are the tax implications? Yeah. So that kind of clarity uh, on digital transactions first is a major piece. Now, extending that to crypto, I think makes it easy because you can easily convert crypto yeah. to fiat. Yes. So even if you used crypto in the first place as a transactional event, and maybe it's not taxed as you're transacting in crypto world, maybe it's taxed when you convert back to fiat, right? At a minimum, yes. that's what is likely to happen. But maybe in three years, we'll be sophisticated enough to say, oh no, we're just going to tax you in crypto as well and send yes. the crypto to, to the IRS. Uh, but I see that happening more for centralized digital currencies and there's a few cu- countries that have that. So that's not yet a norm globally. And, and I think the tax for now may just be limited to fiat. You know, at the point of conversion, you would then dis- declare that fiat. Uh, but maybe it stays hidden in crypto world for a bit. You know, similar to just how stocks work, right? You only Pretty pay much. tax on your capital gains. Otherwise, yes. otherwise they, they really don't care much. And if what your country has capital gains, not all countries right. have capital not gains. Not all countries have. I, I live in New Zealand. There is no capital gains tax in New Zealand. Apart, wow. from, apart from if you do property flipping. So, you know, you buy a house, you flip it. And that also, if you do it under two years, if you hold it more than two years, then you don't pay. So pretty much wow. there is like nearly no capital. So if you have, if you buy stocks, make profit, sell them, no capital gains tax, as far as I know, or, or any other asset. Whether That's it's the place or... to be, man. <laughs> yes, but the, the government isn't um, sophisticated enough to publicize and capitalize on these things and attract the best talent. The government is just too busy at the moment dealing with all the, all the yeah. COVID related and politics related issues <laughs> that's with every country you know that's with every yeah country. not only yeah, yeah that the the regulation lags behind but some countries are definitely trying to establish their name in the crypto blockchain market and countries like portugal is doing really well and estonia, um, estonia yeah. is doing really well yes switzerland is setting up you know the whole silicon no not silicon crypto valley stuff and all that like there, there's few countries israel is coming up in this space israel. yeah yeah few countries are really and dubai is really pushing in this space as well so yes there is going to be a lot of innovation coming up in in the whole cryptocurrency and side i always say i missed the 2013 wave because i was working at the new york stock exchange at that at that time and there was a bitcoin office right there the first ever bitcoin office in manhattan and <laughs> i would just be like what is this thing why would i trust a, Q- a qr code to hold on my money what if i lose the piece of paper you know it still happens. Now, there is no central it's, office. It's still you are responsible, and that is a big problem. It is estimated twenty yeah. percent of all 
currency, cryptocurrency is lost to lost well. passwords and lost <laughs> um, so it, phrases. It's still a big, it's still a big uh, gumball, but I think I'm not, I'm not ready to miss out on this new phase that we're in. I think there's a little bit more clarity. You know, we have options now, hot, core storage, all kinds of wallet variations. A lot of wallets are also forward looking. Even when they launch a new wallet, you can upgrade and, and, and move your existing addresses along. And, and, I, and like I said, the ability, yeah, you know, I'm working with another company in Singapore called Skybit. And they are trying to work with this digital asset conversion kind of functionality where, you know, they can easily facilitate convert, converting between one a cryptocurrency to another or cryptocurrency to, to the Singapore uh, dollar or, or other kind of local cur fiat currencies. So I think that is the next step. We're seeing a lot of ATM, crypto ATMs being issued, which I think is exciting. You could just yeah. use it like a re regular Visa card but it's actually tied to your crypto account. So that mass adoption that's happening in the companies, legitimate brands like Visa partnering to issue these kind of debit cards and, 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 and yes. credit cards, to me is the foundational element needed to bring this to the masses. So because as, as consumers, we just want to use all the, the regular things we're already doing. Personally, as a, I, I think we, we're a little bit as a business more aggressive on the crypto space so it's easier to use crypto as a business i think there's a lot more platforms now coinbase and otherwise that facilitate sort of crypto payments transactions for businesses and so one can imagine we're seeing a lot of it in the nfl and other places where people can now accept salaries in crypto absolutely you know yeah so i think the more you know there's trust and demonstration of the practicality of some of these things, it will only be a matter of time before other people can extend that to their day-to-day -day lives as well. Absolutely. And I'll give my sort of um, two cents as well and why I think Web3 is revolutionary is because this is one of the biggest innovations around money that has happened in a very, very, very long time. To, to give you an example, like now people can not only be consumers, but also be owners, even when they haven't been the investors. Previously, you had to be an investor to own a stock in Coca-Cola or Nike or, or Procter & Gamble or something like that. Then nice. you are an owner. Now you can be a user, like, you know, user of OpenSea or user of ENS domains or any, or in, in soon MetaMask, and then they will drop out tokens to the most prolific of users. So the bigger the user you are, the more you own that token. And that token is easily convertible to another token on a, on a decentralized exchange. So now, back in the days, if you are a user of Facebook, you're only making money for someone else. In yeah. As Web3 expands, if you are a user of a certain Web3 product, whether it is one of your product, one of your books, anything it could be, you could reward your users and make them owners in the company in a way using a DAO or something like that. Yeah, um, absolutely. And yeah, I, I go ahead. And that is the revolutionary change that I see happening. I have no idea how any of this will be taxed, how any of this will be, will, will there be a gift tax on a on an airdrop? I don't know how it will be taxed on anything, but th this is the change that is, is happening, that is fundamental. That's why it's pulling in all the talent from all around the world or Web3 sucking in all the talent because of this one change.
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one big area I hit on in the book. It's like the, the fractional ownership or yes. tokenization and, and linking that to the DAO. That's why I said the DAO sort of becomes the next step once you've normalized patch ownership and fractional ownership. So one example I use is like Chobani. This is a Chobani yoga, yoga company company yes. in, in the US and, and started by a Greek immigrant. And he basically since 2006 started issuing stock to his employees and making them part owners in the company. Mm -hmm. So in the book, I say that can easily be extended. I think in the future, the next Chobanis of the world will just set up a DAO and say, congratulations, log in here. You are now, as of today, you know, part owners, and this is how you can utilize your stocks. And this is how you can uh, sort of have both economic and decision-making regarding the operations of the company. And I think that as you mentioned, that co-creation and co-ownership is what a lot of employers are looking for these days, you know? It, it's not like I want to negotiate it at the end and maybe sue you and maybe feel like I was used and like, oh, I, I gave you 20 years and all you gave me was 1%. But the fact that we can even have that dis discussion in one day before we even do all the creation and save ourselves all that legal trouble and, and, and the value essentially is shared as it's being created. Yes. So and you, like the Giovanni yeah. example, it is great, but that's the old world where yes, um, stock options or ESOP yeah. was often offered to employees, but now it extends to the users and the consumers, Absolutely. which has never happened. So it's like you are eating Chopin, Chopin yogurt. The more yogurt you eat, the more the value of your token increases or the more tokens you get that will increase. Yeah, if, if you know, exactly. If you're one of their flavor testers or, yes. or you, you offer great uh, feedback you know, in terms of user testing kind of feedback on, on how they can improve the product. Or you make all your family yeah. also subscribe to the Chobani's monthly membership and, where you get yeah. five liters of your five kilograms of yogurt every yeah. month every or Saturday. something. Yeah. And then you get more tokens, you get more airdrops from Chobani and stuff. So, yeah. um, or you even get the the highly coveted Chobani NFT where which will allow you to the Chobani events <laughs> once a year <laughs> and meet their CEO. So it's the possibilities are interaction and building a community. And one of the things I've seen is that the Web3 is all about community development and managing yeah. and growing that community. And that's why I think that the future is bright for, for yeah. Web3. I mean, of course, anything has regulatory challenges, technological challenges, um, ecological challenges, but we'll see how I, that... I'm curious, uh, do you want, mind expanding more about the esports space? Because uh, one of the areas sure. that I out on too is like um, just a regulatory compliance in either the esports or even a sports betting industry, which is increasing here in the US. I think New Jersey just legalized. I feel like New York is so close yes. uh, to uh, legalizing sports betting. And that's a huge space that has really never tap, tap, tap into so kind of the question to talk about it please. yes so um one of the project that we are currently working on is called insider e n s y d r and as you know on twitter and on internet on reddit on everywhere people have opinions on what price of bitcoin should be what price of tesla stock or gme should be then we thought why not let these people compete in an e style tournament to see who gets the price right 
and there is nothing. They don't have to spend anything. They don't have to buy the underlying asset. They just compete based on their prediction, based on their technical analysis, fundamental analysis, all that stuff. And then over time, whoever has the most points will come up as that they are, they have real knowledge. And those who just say and just amplify the one tweet that they got it right out of and the 20 other things they got wrong, they never stuff about. So this way we'll really know who is really good. And that person, since they don't even have to buy the asset, that person could be the, you know, 18 year old in Sierra Leone or Liberia or somewhere in, in Africa who never had access to USD, but this is a completely free platform. So that's what one of the things we are building. Where this idea came from was when I worked for one of the esports startup, we created software to run esports tournaments. And the reason esports is big because it is you're competing against each other. It is interactive. It is collaborative. There is a lot of potential for relaying it just like an NBA game or an NFL game. Um, on Twitch, on YouTube, on Facebook Live, all those sort of things. So we made software where anyone can come organize their tournament, do the brackets, just like you know how NBA has East and West. And so you can do your own brackets. You can have teams progress to the final and all those sort of things. So we did the software for that and it will connect to any of your game on on PlayStation, Xbox, Steam, or, or any sort of platform. And then people can game through that and it will sort of stream it and all that. So that's what we created. That's the company that got um, acquired. But it is absolutely massive space gaming, online gaming. So whether it's Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, all these sort of games together. Gaming is bigger than movies and TVs and books Absolutely. and everything. I, I do. I got... I got sucked into it during, at the start of the, yeah, I, I do a lot of streaming. Oh, fantastic. Which game? <laughs> no, I, I watch other players. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Oh, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. In 2018, 19, I went to the Game Developers Conference or GDC in, in San Francisco. And there's one in West, there's one in East, and there's one in Australia as well. So I go, I've been going to that and stuff. So it's absolutely, yeah, it's a, it's a booming industry and stuff. So, so yeah, that's, that's about, about it. But yeah, yeah, continue. Do you have any other questions about that, that industry or, or how it will evolve? I have well, other examples uh, of that, of yeah. how it's evolving in the Web3. Yeah, I think I think you could share because I would I get I only brought it up because I think it's the one area that's really championing uh, yes. instead of blockchain and crypto integration. Well, absolutely walking that thin line between you know regulatory compliance but also practical application of like yes we do yes. have gaming and we want to issue credits and we want to reward our our absolutely. users our, our casino currency. Yeah. Yes. So the thing is that most games have multiple digital currencies in each platform. So say if you play Destiny, it has probably 10 or 15 different types of currencies internally. They are all not, they're not on blockchain, but they're just, you know, so you get like glimmer, you get coins, you get gold, you get diamonds, you get all these sort of, I mean, just example in any game, you get lots of these inbuilt currencies. The reason why they have so many different currencies is because they might want to reward one activity for a certain time, and then they might want to reward another activity Activity. So they just make another coin or token and it's just stored in traditional databases and stuff like relational databases and stuff. But then 
where the case really comes for Web3 and blockchain and all that is that that if you really want to make it into a completely decentralized currency or a token, then it is the best to put it on a on a blockchain. And so there is transparency as well. And then it allows peer-to-peer exchange and those on a, on another some sort of a DeFi. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So and then you can start rewarding people. So every time they log in, they get more talk tokens. They so you have a pool for that. And then yeah, you can you can go that way and and start having some utility. So now because of this, there are professionals in Philippines and professionals in, in Bangladesh and all around the world who all they do is play games um to make money. <laughs> <laughs> on this so so it it is happening whether it is right or wrong or i i don't know if it is but th- right. this is what is already happening there, there are millions of people gaming now and and millions of people engaging in web3 gaming projects i i guess i would be curious uh, you know again the right or wrong i'm not i think it's if people want to play games and be rewarded for it it's just as normal i exactly you know i do right. hope I hope parents, like if I had a professional esports player as a child, I would be very supportive, you know, if that's yes, what they want to yes. do. But I would be curious, sort of, since again, we never want to just talk about tech and leave it too technical, yes. whether there is a, I did, we did mention earlier how uh, certain uh, football players in the US are already getting paid in crypto or, yes. or casinos are, are sort of launching their own digital currencies or credit rewards, one could yes. argue. But do you see any other influence from esports uh, to traditional sports? Again, I'm looking at emerging markets like Africa that are beginning to launch their own NBA version, and things like this. Yes. But, but what can traditional sports franchises one could say, really learn from the esports business that could perhaps help them in their digitization and, and compensation for sports talent. The, okay, the, this is back, going back to the old school. And if you look at the sports that is successful mm-hmm. for audience and sports that is not successful for the new audience. So I will give you an example of US because I think you and a lot of the audience would be most familiar with the US sports. Two sports I'd like to compare. And one is baseball and the other one is NBA. So when you look at the NBA's footprint online, it is it is absolutely massive compared to, to baseball. And that didn't used to be the case 30 years ago. It has completely flipped the, the relationship. The average um, person who watches baseball is I think around 55 to 62 or something like that. Whereas the average person that watches NBA is in 40s because of the of how like NBA managed. So NBA encouraged people to share. NBA encouraged, they didn't care about copyright so much and all that. And they just encouraged people to share on YouTube, share on social media, anything, take their clips, share it around, doesn't matter. So encourage that sort of community building, which is now seen as community building, Back then, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, it was seen as copyright infringement. And that's how the old school sport like baseball saw it. And so, you know, everyone knows around the world, major basketball players, and they are now, they're billionaires. 
absolutely billionaires like LeBron James and, and so many of them, they have massive empires. So Steph Curry or, or Kevin Durant, whose empires go in the startup world as well. Whereas no one knows outside of US probably who is the who is the top 10 baseball players. You ask someone, I, I have not met a person who can name them, you know, of the last five years. Who's the, who are the top 10 baseball players? It's still called the World Series, baseball, even though it's just the U.S. claim. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. I agree with you. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. One, one of the things... So audience, go ahead. Audience engagement. Yeah, that... Yes, yes. Audience engagement and go for the, the younger, going for the younger audience and engaging them in more creative ways and getting access. Like it is very hard to play the American football, the NFL on the street, but basketball you can play anywhere. But then esports takes it one step further because you might not live near a basketball court. It might be bad weather outside. You might not have the friends all at the same time to play basketball. Whereas esports, you can log in anywhere. You can be on your handheld device on the bus to the school or the back from school. So it's access. So the access has to be more. And that's what digital currencies do is they provide access. That's what esports has done. It has provided access for people to compete against each other, engage with each other in a, in a community. And that's what sports did. So the second thing is for traditional sports is to look at how they can provide access to as many people at most times, if possible. And that is a very hard, that's a logistics thing. And if they can do that, then then they will. And it does not only have to be with playing, it can also be with watching. And, you know, if you go to, say, countries like Malaysia, everyone has, goes to the tea stalls in the evening to watch English Premier League. And they have massive following of English Premier League football. And, you know, football is very big in Africa as well. Because it's access, you can just have a ball, even a small pace place and two friends can start playing. You don't need expensive gear. You don't need massive grounds. You don't need, so access is the big one. Access for young people. That's it. Once you give that, you, you'll fly. And, and the, the next is engagement and retention. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, wow, that was, I, I think sports was a very good analogy. I know everybody is focused on NFTs for creative artists. But I, I think the sports analogy for me made a lot more sense. Most, yeah, most sports people are yeah. coming up with their own NFT collection now, which you can always, once you have an audience, yeah. you can, because you can give yeah. access to your audience via your NFT. So if you hold your NFT, you can have a meeting with Serena Williams is the latest one yesterday, <laughs> coming up with her own NFT stuff. So so look, Asenya, it's been fantastic talking with you. Last question is, that do you have an ask? Are you looking for anything? Are you looking for investors? Are you looking for people to yeah. join, give you deal flow for your startup or anything, anything? And yeah. how should they connect with you? So I have two asks, I think. The first ask is, yes, we, we're looking for investors that are interested in supporting the next generation of what I call entrepreneurs. And ethical means they're creating innovations that are truly going to change the way society engages and, 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 and innovates. So I talked about ethical AI applications. I talked about fintech and health tech kind of innovation. So investors that are looking for that, they can come join our cashless society syndicate that will then be investing via SPV, special purpose vehicle kind of entities on a deal by deal. And they can just visit our website, uh, brianasinja.com or, or follow me at brianasinja on social. And the second ask is ultimately for more podcasts or workshop kind of uh, opportunities to just continue to, to I, I want to say, share the gospel of, of the cashless society and much more importantly, an ethical cashless society that 
is more accessible and inclusive so we can all benefit from this future that is truly uh, democratized and much more accessible than ever before. So thank you so much, Sam. And I think I'll definitely follow up privately. I would love to. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. You. That's, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for your time and wish you best of luck. Thank you once again for tuning in and listening to this episode. I would love to connect with you. So reach out to me. Reach out to me. If you have any questions about Web3, I would love to answer them. And if I cannot, then I will find an expert who can. Finally, share this podcast with a friend who you think should know and learn more about Web3, who you think should get involved in the world of crypto, decentralized finance, metaverse, NFTs, and more. Thank you once again and have a fantastic day.